0: Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of ifixyoursciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. If you're joining us for the first time, thank you for listening. And if you are tuning in again, welcome back. And lastly, if you find today's episode or any of these episodes of this podcast to be helpful or insightful, please follow and rate this podcast on whatever platform you're using. The more followers and ratings we get, the more we can help people like you. And without further ado, let's get started. The other day, I had a conversation with a young lady about surgery iFixYourSciatica.com is actually built to help people like you recover from sciatica pain without medications or surgery in 12 weeks or less. After talking with this young lady, I realized that I have all this information about how to treat yourself without the use of these modalities. And there are instances in which medications and or surgery are helpful. In today's podcast, I'll actually talk about the most popular surgical procedures, the indications for each surgery, and how to recover from them. So let's start off with why someone would actually consider surgery as compared to beginning or starting a movement program or working with a physical therapist like myself. The first reason is having a one or a combination of medical red flags. Remember, Medical red flags are anything that is out of the ordinary and cannot be influenced by exercises, stretches, or movement. That includes symptoms and signs of complete loss of function of an extremity uh, or weakness, unexplained weakness, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, fever, sweats, or chills, unexplained weight loss or gain, saddle anesthesia or numbness in your pelvic region, changes in bowel or bladder function, uh, general malaise or feeling unwell, or pain that wakes you up at night or unexplained night sweats. These medical red flags can be further assessed by a physician who can rule in or rule out other medical conditions that would warrant more medical attention. After medical red flags are cleared or assessed, the next criteria in which someone would be a candidate for surgery would be failure to respond to conservative treatments. And to clarify, conservative treatment would include anything that isn't surgery, meaning that it can include physical therapy, chiropractic care, pharmaceuticals, acupuncture, and even ancillary care like massages or stretching. To be clear though, not all physical therapy, not all treatment modalities are created equal, meaning that even if one round of physical therapy with a physical therapist fails, it doesn't mean that physical therapy in general was unsuccessful. What you should be focusing on is your recovery. So communicate with your provider about the results of your care, so then that way they can make an informed decision with you. So if you're not responding to multiple rounds of conservative care and, or you present with these medical red flags, then you could be a candidate for spinal surgery and the next step is to get evaluated by a physician who would then refer you out to a spinal surgeon the surgeon will then identify the best surgical procedures for you i'm going to cover some commonly recommended surgeries why they're recommended and some strategies on how to recover from these procedures surgeries are categorized into two sections, which is going to be surgery on the disc itself, or or second version is going to be a surgery on the vertebrae itself, the bones. The list of surgeries that I'm describing, it can actually be referenced in spine-health.com. A common disc surgery for sciatica pain is a discectomy. This is where the spine surgeon uses a minimally invasive technique to either clean up, remove some of the pieces, or completely remove a damaged disc. This is often due to the fact that the disc is so damaged and the disc itself is pushing on the nerves directly. This level of damage is usually actually diagnosed via MRI and confirmed during your surgical consult recovery with this technique is pretty swift as most people are returning back to their normal functional status at around eight weeks. Usually physical therapy is recommended to accelerate recovery and improve the recovery process. And there are many protocols online to to search for and each surgeon will actually have their own research-based rehab protocol that you can go through with a physical therapist. Another option is a disc replacement. This procedure actually switches out the herniated disc with a metal or other composite material that takes place of the spinal disc itself. This allows some freedom of motion, which is normal at the vertebrae, and the recovery protocol is also dictated by the surgeon, and you should stick with the plan. If we move out beyond the the disc, we're looking at the bony vertebrae itself. There are two major goals with surgery that address the bony structures of the spine, and we're looking at stability and decompression. Spinal fusions are used to maximize stability of the vertebrae. Spinal instability can be caused by many factors, which can include lack of core strength, trauma, and failure to recruit the spinal muscles to allow the spine to stay stable. And as a result, the vertebrae can in fact slip on in top of each other, resulting in altered mechanics of the spine leading to further nerve irritation. And you can have a single level instability, which is between two vertebrae or multi-level, which is going to be multiple vertebrae. And again, this is going to be determined by your surgeon. They'll often go in and add some metal screws, plates, and or rods to help realign the vertebrae to minimize motion. The recovery for this process takes about 12 weeks where you'll be focusing on core strength, hip flexibility, hip strength to minimize extraneous motion that happens at the spine. And one challenge with spinal fusions is that if you don't address the core stability component, other areas of the spine can be unstable, other levels of vertebrae can be unstable, which would make up for the loss of motion. And this is why it's so important to maximize motion at the hips and shoulders to minimize the extraneous motions that occur at the lumbar spine and the other vertebrae. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the sciatica protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. The second category of vertebral surgeries include decompression surgeries. This can be seen in something like a forearm anatomy. It's a tongue twister where the actual hole, the foramen is expanded. This is where the nerves start to exit and this is, can be expanded through surgery. And the opening of the holes, this allows the nerves to exit the spinal cord to run more freely. And this is often due to conditions like spinal stenosis where there is a narrowing of the foramen of which the nerve exits. Another decompression, decompressive surgery is called a laminectomy, where the backside of the vertebrae can have bone spurs, which grows over time. It gets removed and then gets fused to provide symptom relief on the backside of the spinal cord. This can be present with the fusion to minimize motion of these bones. The recovery time for procedures like this is about 12 weeks as well, with an emphasis on core stability, hip flexibility, and strength. Now, as you can see, there's an underlying theme on the rehab protocols for all these procedures. The commonality is core stability, hip flexibility, and strength. And after undergoing these procedures, you're also to avoid any sort of bending, lifting, or twisting for the first couple of weeks because your body needs to heal and allow this surgery to take place. We call this the BLT principles. It is important for you to communicate with your surgeon to be clear on your restrictions to allow maximal recovery. The good news is that there's in fact hope to return to your normal function and without pain. I've worked with many clients after these surgeries and the outcomes are usually positive. And remember the key to maximizing stability at the spine and maximize mobility uh, is to maximize mobility at your hips and strengthen the areas outside of the spine itself. This is why it's so important for us to understand the concept of bracing and using the hips for motion. One area of spinal surgery, rehab, that often gets overlooked is relearning how to move. Unfortunately, more often than not, the actions and behaviors that you do on a daily basis had an impact on what led you to surgery in the first place. This means that if you revert back to your old ways, there is a higher likelihood that your pain can come back even with these surgeries. And I've been using this analogy a lot recently, about how your body is like a car and you are the driver so hear me out as you're driving it's totally okay to occasionally hit the curb with your tire you'll feel a little bit of a jolt but you'll go back to your daily operations however if you repeatedly hit the same tire on the same curb over and over again you will start to spring a slow leak and eventually damage your tire and your rim. This makes your car really hard to drive and it is even dangerous. Surgery is like replacing that damaged rim. You'll be able to drive normally again because you have a fresh new tire. However, if you still run the habit of driving your car into the curb, then you will have the same problem as you had before surgery. It is important for you to recognize that you were repeatedly doing this activity and you need to make the necessary changes to prevent or minimize the times you drive into that curb. The same goes with the human body. Our bodies are resilient. And when we get into surgery, it's not a hall pass to return back to your old ways and habits. We need to find a way to optimize movement and minimize the risk of re-injury. That means that we need to break down your daily behaviors and understand what is helping your recovery and what isn't. When I work with patients after surgery, we first focus on recruiting the core. And what does that look like? The core is the area between your hips and your shoulders and includes your low back muscles, your abs, your obliques. But it's also important to understand that this is where the stability occurs. So creating tension in the core should allow you to have more freedom of motion in the hips. From there, it's time to learn how to move the hips. This is where the hard work begins because it would be safe to assume that you were told throughout your life that when you're picking things up, you need to arch your back when bending forward. You're not allowed to bend forward. You have to keep the chest up. We're going to be relearning how to hinge at the hips by giving yourself, your body permission to lean forward and not to experience a lot of motion at the spine. Focusing, moving on the hips. And this is probably one of the scariest, hardest, yet most impactful moments in recovery. And once you learn how to use your hips, your spine is going to be happy. And you will be able to let that spine heal so you can get back to the things that you love. The next thing is to look at the specific activities that you want to resume. Break those movements down and identify when and where you are experiencing the most spinal motions. How can we maximize spinal stability while also increasing extremity motion, your hips and shoulders during these activities? You can certainly build a slow return to your activity with your provider, or you can work with someone like me who will break down every single movement in your activity so you can stay pain-free and happy. There is a huge place for surgeries, and there is hope for your recovery. You'll be able to get back into things that you love, but the key is finding the things that work for you and have a plan for you to return to living a normal life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider.